this morning for the word. We're going to be in John chapter 20. And um, there's so many, so many different passages that you could focus on on Easter. As we were coming up to today, we've been walking through the book of Acts. I mean, I was just asking the Lord for, for Easter, what, what would you like me to teach on? And uh, he brought to mind a conversation I had had with Jason Hafer recently. And he's been teaching one of the Sunday school classes, and he was looking at this passage in John 20, and just about the interaction between Thomas, the famous story about doubting Thomas. You've all heard that before, right? Uh, The famous interaction between Thomas and Jesus, and then what Jesus says in response to Thomas. And as as I was praying and asking the Lord uh, to, to press on my heart exactly what he would desire for us to be looking at together as a church this morning, this passage was the one that kept coming to mind. So, Jason, thank you for pursuing the Lord and walking out uh, friendship with me. And that's how the Lord speaks often in community and relationship. And we need to be talking with one another and sharing. Yeah, praise God. Yeah, yeah. So this is an amazing passage. Um, In John chapter 20, we're going to go through the whole thing. This, of course, is uh, starting right after the crucifixion. It says in John chapter 20, verse 1, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Who's that? John, which is just a funny way to refer to yourself, isn't it? Because he's the one who's writing this gospel, but he says... (laughs) <laughs> the one Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. You can just sense in her like panic and heartbreak. They were going to serve the body of Jesus, and it's gone. She thinks that it's been stolen. We do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, that's John, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. (laughs) I I love John's self-perception. It's so interesting. And he, he was most likely the youngest of the disciples, so he had, Peter had some years on him. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. So he outruns Peter, he gets to the tomb, he looks in and he sees that there's just cloths lying there, but he hesitates, he stops, he doesn't fully go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and he went right into the tomb, which is quite in keeping with Peter's character, isn't it? The man rarely faced a challenge, he didn't dive in headfirst following him, and he went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Teenagers in this room, you see that? Jesus folded his sheets, made his bed. Verse 8, Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also, and this is a key phrase, for this morning. So I want you to see this with me. So this is John, who had gotten there first, but had hesitated. He also went in 
and he saw and believed. Everybody say, he saw and believed. What did he believe? Maybe. That, yeah, that could be. I don't know. I, I, and what was he believing in? He didn't see Jesus. It's just an empty tomb and the folded cloths lying there. He went in, he sees it, and it says he believed. For as yet, and this is why I'm not sure, 100%, because then it follows it up with this statement. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture. So even coming to the empty tomb, John sees the empty tomb. How many times has Jesus said he's going to die and rise again? number of times, John sees the empty tomb and it says they still did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. But God's clearly, the Holy Spirit is clearly stirring something within him. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So they go back. But Mary, so she must have come running with them. So she's been to the garden. She went back to tell them. They ran ahead and she followed after them and she's come back a second time. She stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. This is an amazing interaction. This woman is seeing two angels, and she could care less about the angels. Let that sink in for a moment. She could care less about the angels sitting in there because she only cares about Jesus. They have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. She's been weeping. Her eyes are bloodshot. Tears staining her face. She can't see clear. You know when you cry so hard and your eyes just burn and, and are red, and it's hard to see clear. This is, this is her, and so she... She sees a commotion and and there's this interaction, but she doesn't recognize him until, watch this, he says her name. Jesus said to her, Mary. And he must have said it in a way that no one else ever said that name. Jesus says your name in a way that no one else ever says your name. You ever had that experience with like a loved one, like a parent, where they just say your name in a way that just no one else says it? Every time I talk to my dad, it's, hey, Deej. And, and that's what he calls it. And it's a way that no one else would say it quite 
like that, the intonation, and I would know it even if I didn't know I was talking to him. Mary, Mary, she turned and said to him, she recognizes him by his voice. How did Jesus say his sheep would know him? By his voice. My sheep will know me by my voice. John 10. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these specific things to her. Go and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father, your Father, my God, your God. Some of you may have thought about this before or heard this before, but I just, to me, it's too marvelous and too wonderful to, to skip over, even if you've heard it a bunch of times. In Greco-Roman culture, and certainly in Jewish culture, uh, back at this time, the testimony of a woman was not valid in the courts of law. So you could not call a witness um, that was female. It had to be a man, and most often it to, for it to be recognized and listened to, it had to be a citizen, it had to be someone who had standing. So a woman's testimony uh, was of zero value in, in the system, in the courts of the day. Now, rightfully so, when we hear that, Hopefully, you're thinking, that's not okay, (laughs) because it's not. That's not okay. But think about this, that Jesus Christ, that God, entrusted the single most important event in human history to a woman whose testimony would not be recognized. That's amazing. God entrusts the most important thing to ever happen to a woman who's had demons cast out of her. God's kingdom is not like our kingdoms. His ways are not like our ways. When Jesus came, he turned everything upside down. In Jesus' kingdom, we don't live to live. We die to live. We don't live to win, we lose to win. Jesus died that we might have life, he lost so that there might be victory. Because death is embraced in the kingdom of God, death leads to resurrection. When you spend your whole life trying to avoid death, your whole life becomes all about death. Because you're obsessed with it, and avoiding it, and it's all you can think of. But in our faith, Jesus teaches us to embrace and welcome death, knowing that it's just simply the step to true and resurrected life in him. In the kingdom of God, tombs are not filled, they're empty. In the kingdom of God, the gospel, the good news, that's what gospel means, the good news, the greatest news ever proclaimed, the resurrection itself is instructed to the least of these. Not to Herod, not to Caesar, not to Pilate or the the high priest of the day. The news is entrusted to Mary. 
I find this to be so beautiful and compelling. Verse 19, on the evening of that day, so the same day, this has been a full day. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, Sunday evening, the doors being locked. John wants us to know the doors are locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. How in the world did he get in that room? He's so much of a spirit, he can walk through walls. But he's so much of a man. Watch this. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So he gathers them. He gathers them around him and he breathes on them. Close your eyes for a minute. Close your eyes and in your imagination, join the disciples. There were men and women in this room. Join them. Sitting at Jesus' feet, the resurrected Lord, picture him with the wounds in his side and his hands and the scars on his head from the crown of thorns. Picture him. He leans over and he breathes on you. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Then he says in verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness of any, it is withheld. There's a lot that could be said about this verse. This is an interesting verse, isn't it? One thing that we can learn is that we better handle forgiveness very, very carefully. We are forgiven, and so we forgive. We are to forgive as we've been forgiven. Verse 24, now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. What did John report about himself when he came to the empty tomb, seeing nothing but the folded cloths and not yet fully understanding the scriptures? What did he say that he he believed? Thomas, Thomas, who has, this has been a week, the tomb has been empty. I'm sure it's been verified for him, if not by his own eyes, certainly by the news that's spreading around. Thomas, who walked with Jesus all this time. Thomas, whose closest friends in life, the one he's banked everything he has on walking through life with these other men and women who have followed Jesus so closely, they're telling him they've seen Jesus, and he says, I will not believe it unless I actually see it and touch it with my own eyes. I will never believe without that verifiable, physical touch and proof. All right. Before you judge Thomas 
Uh, and rather than judging Thomas, I think what I'd like to do this morning is invite you to identify with Thomas. I don't know about you, uh, but for me, um, if I'm truly honest with myself and with the Lord and with you, often I'm much closer aligned to Thomas than I am certainly to the women who had faith without sin and, and sometimes even John who saw the empty tomb. Thomas, because of this story and those who don't know the rest of scripture, he gets a bad rap. There's, there's cultural songs. If you uh, Google Doubting Thomas, you will find songs. You'll find all sorts of things about Thomas. But it's a little bit unfair because he plays a pretty key role, even though he's not one of the inner three. Even in the book of John, we see him show up multiple places. In John chapter 11, what happens in John 11? It's an amazing miracle, you know? What, is, what does Jesus do in John 11? He raises Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus has been dead for three days, and Jesus raises him from the dead. But before Jesus goes to raise him from the dead, when, when Mary and Martha sent the messengers to go tell Jesus, please come back, please come back and pray for our brother, and Jesus waits, and then he dies, and then he tells the disciples a couple days later, I'm going to go down now, and they thought that he meant he was going to die. They, they think that he means I'm going to Jerusalem to die now. That's, it wasn't his time yet. That's not what Jesus meant. But listen to what Thomas says. So Thomas, believing that Jesus was going to go die, called the twin. He said to his fellow disciples, let's also go that we may die with him. So before you think of Thomas as someone without conviction, look at this. This is a man who speaks up among all the disciples and says, I'm willing to die with him. So this isn't a matter of conviction. This isn't a matter of him being, being weak. This is something else going on. In John chapter 14, this is after the, first, or the, the supper, the communion, the last supper, when, when Jesus is speaking to them about abiding and, and all of the giving the Holy Spirit and all of that beautiful passage, Thomas said to him, verse 5 through 7, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Now listen to what Jesus says in response to Thomas's question. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. Whose relationship with God, with Jesus, has been positively influenced by this verse? Uh, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's not very many hands. <laughs> Whose relationship with Jesus Christ has been positively influenced by Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life? If you have a relationship with Jesus, your hand better be up. This is pretty key. And this statement by Jesus is in response to a question by Thomas. We wouldn't have this statement by Jesus recorded if it were not for Thomas. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. This is Jesus' most explicit statement of exclusivity in the Gospels. So what that means is Jesus is saying there is no other way to God. Gandhi was a wonderful person, but he was wrong. Not all paths, religious paths, lead to God. That's not how it works. 
all paths to God go directly through Jesus. This is his most explicit statement of exclusivity. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. And then the final time we hear about Thomas is this passage in John 20 where he says, Unless I see the hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hands in his side, I will never believe. So Thomas is a little bit like Peter. He's got some boldness and, and some courage and some, some back and forth similar to what we see uh, with, with Peter. Thomas in church tradition, church history records for us some interesting things about Thomas. Um, church tradition, and this isn't verified, we don't know this for sure, but church tradition holds that the apostles spread out a map of the known world and they divided it up into 12 pieces and each of them took a piece of the map to take the gospel um, of the known Greco-Roman world. And, the, and they cast lots to figure out which place to go. And the lot uh, that fell to Thomas was to go to India. And so church tradition holds that Thomas became a missionary to India where he served the remainder of his life. And tradition says that Thomas was martyred in 72 CE, killed by a king there. Um, and some modern-day Indian Christians still trace their history back to the apostolic ministry of Thomas. You might not know this, but there have continuously been uh, Christians in India from the very beginning of church history to today. Uh, they've been persecuted, they've been minority, they've been small in many ways, but there has been a faithful Christian church in India all the, that traces all the way back to this. Isn't that cool? So that uh, church tradition holds that Thomas was the one. So now Thomas, one of the 12, he wasn't there. We already read this. He says, I will never believe. And then this, this is so cool. Eight days later. So this is Monday, the following week. His disciples were inside again, same scenario. But this time, Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, once again, the doors are locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said the exact same thing he said the first time. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, <laughs> so he calls Thomas out in front of everybody else. <laughs> All right, Thomas, put your fingers here. See my hands and put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. This, this statement by Thomas is one of the clearest examples we have in the scriptures, especially in the gospel accounts of the disciples recognizing Jesus, not just as Messiah, but as God. My Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. All right, a little bit of review. This has been a theme I've been hitting on for a while. So if you're visiting with us, uh, bear with me for a minute. And I hope you glean something from this. In English, when we think of the word faith, we think of belief in something 
that we can't have verifiable proof for. That's what it means to have faith. That's partly what that word means in Greek, the word pistis. That's translated faith in English. That's partly what it means, but it actually has a much greater depth than just believing facts about something. What faith is at its foundation, and again, I've said this before, but this is so key to our relationship with God. What faith means underneath that is a fidelity of the heart and an allegiance of the soul to God, even when there is a lack of verifiable proof. That's what faith is. Faith is having your heart pledge allegiance to God in such a way that even when there aren't answers, you are still wholly, fully committed to Him. And that makes all the difference. Because if faith and relationship with God is about verifiable proof, then we're in a really bad spot. Because there are a whole bunch of things we don't know about Bible or about the, the creation or about any number of issues in the scriptures. Man, I wish I knew exactly how God created the earth. I would love to know exactly how. I would love to know how the Holy Spirit inspired the authors to write the scriptures. I would love to know, I would love to have been a part of the conversations when the church fathers were putting together the canon and when they were excluding some books and including others. And and there's so, it goes on and on. And the more you study the Bible, the more that you, you dive in, the more questions are raised in many ways and the less answers we have about many of those things that in, I think, our flesh, we'd like to just say, see, I've got proof. God is real. We found the Ark of the Covenant. See, we've got proof. God is real. We found the Ark of Noah. Or fill in the blank. But that was never the point. That was never the point. Our relationship with God was never meant to be a mental ascent to a list of facts that happened in history. Our relationship with God is a fidelity of the heart and an allegiance of the soul to God to walk out our relationship with Him even when we don't have answers. Even when all we see is an empty tomb. And that's it. Thomas got to see Jesus and touch him. We don't get that. And that's tough. That's hard. I mean, I I legitimately mean that. That's hard. I wrestle with that. I mean, we're like thousands of years removed now. That's really hard. That we can't have that verifiable proof, but listen to Jesus' blessing. And again, blessing in Western culture, we think blessing means God gives you money. That does not mean That is not what blessing means. Blessing means that you're in a good place. That's what that word means. You're in a good place. You're in a good state of being with God. You are in a good state of being. You are in alignment with God, Jesus says, when you have not seen and yet have believed. Your heart has allegiance to God. You are in a good spot, even when you have questions. I used to pray. I have a number of friends who don't know the Lord. I hope you do too. And I hope you pray for them every day. I have a number of friends who don't know the Lord or who have walked away from the Lord that I pray for um, as often as they come to mind. 
And I used to pray this over and over again. I still do, but I used to pray the same prayer for them, um, especially a couple of them that I, I would die for, kind of friends. I pray, I pray this, God, let this person have a manifest experience of Jesus that is so real he, he or she cannot deny it. Pray that. I pray that for years for a couple people. Let them have a vision, a dream, a whisper of your spirit that is so clear that they cannot deny that you are God. And I think that's a good prayer. That's a fine prayer. But one day I was reading this passage in Matthew, and it just crushed me. And I think it's related to this story with Thomas. Look at this. This is Matthew 28, after the resurrection. This is right before Jesus ascends into heaven. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Read this line. What does it say? When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. They are with Jesus. They're touching him and hearing his voice. They see the wounds in his hands. He's been appearing to them for 50 days. Or 40 days. Whatever it is at this point. They're with the manifest presence of Jesus. And it's not enough to take away their doubts. What? It's not enough. On this side. On this side of eternity, it's not enough to actually see and touch Jesus. We still wrestle with doubts. We still wrestle with questions. We still have answers or questions that don't have answers. They're looking at Jesus and doubting. Oh, man, this crushes my spirit. Because I know that I am just like that. It's not enough that my friends I pray for see Jesus and just have a manifest experience of him. That's not enough. They actually have to have a change of heart that's so radical that they have an allegiance towards God and a fidelity of life and a belief in him even when there aren't answers to every question. But this is, this is getting to the core and the heart of what faith is all about, actually. Because look what he says. He says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what I want to invite you to today, and you may be in here having walked with the Lord with fidelity, with, with allegiance for the last 80 years. Praise God. You may be in here and have just, just entered into relationship with Jesus in the last season or re-entered after wandering for some time. Praise God. You may be somewhere in between. Every single one of you, every single one of us has questions and doubts. And if you're denying that, you're lying. That's a real part of what it means to be living in a fallen world. Couple notes, real quick. Even if we're proven wrong, even if we die and there's nothing afterwards, 
there is no God. It's all just mathematics in the universe. Just cold, hard material. Even if that's the case, Jesus' life is so compelling, he's worth following. Even if there's nothing else. But that's not the case. And with everything in me, I believe that that is not the case. That there is a God, and he has a son, and he sent his son, and his son is the only way, the only truth, the only life, and no one knows the Father except through Jesus, the Son. And when we come into relationship with him, he does not promise to answer every question. There's that, that song that Jesus is the answer, Jesus is the answer, the only answer. It's been playing on Caleb recently, and I get it, I get it, but that's not the point. Jesus didn't come to answer all our questions. He came to restore relationship with God. And that's a different thing. They're related. I'm not saying don't seek after God with your mind. I just dedicated the last five years of my life to earning a graduate degree while pastoring and raising four kids. Seek after God with all your mind. But that's not the whole thing. Seek God with the wholeness of your being so there's going to be parts where you don't have answers. If you're in here today and you don't have allegiance to God. You have not given your soul the fullness of who you are in allegiance to Jesus Christ. Let today be that day where you realize it isn't about just having factual answers to give people. It's about knowing Jesus in his death and resurrection. A small example of this. I will, God willing, I will spend the remainder of my life in covenant marriage relationship with my wife, Julie. God willing, I will continue, we will continue to pursue one another and learn about one another to the day that we leave this earth. God willing, we will know more about each other on that day than we've ever known about each other. There will still be things about Julie that I don't know when we get to the end. There will still be things about her heart and about the fear she's had in dreams that I still will not know. And that's okay because we're in relationship, covenanted, committed to one another. In the same way, we walk out our relationship with God to the end. All right, and I'm going to end with this thought, and we're going to celebrate through worship as we close our service. Listen to what John says. He says, now Jesus did many other signs. That's, that's his way of saying miracles. Jesus did many other miracles in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, why? So that you may believe. Believe what? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing by giving allegiance of your life to Jesus, by believing you may have life in his name. All right, last thought. What is the pledge of allegiance to Jesus? Thomas said it. My Lord and my God. So as we go into celebration, as we close our resurrection Sunday, I want to invite you to stand. Praise team, you can come up to lead us. So congregation, stand, and let's say uh, these words together. Let's read uh, this, this last couple of verses together. Let's read it out loud as a congregation. 
Verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Jesus, we bless You. We respond with the words that Thomas uttered on that day, my Lord and my God. And we thank You for the blessing that You pronounced over us because we are counted among those who have believed without having seen. Blessed are those who believe without having seen. We thank you for that blessing. God, we thank you that we can walk in relationship with you. We sing and we praise and we celebrate our risen Lord together in your precious name. Amen. Let's sing together.